Welcome to episode six of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, the top five backpacking in the news stories from the past month, the Summit Gear Review will review the 65-liter women's Osprey Aura Pack, the Backpack Hack of the Week will show you an end-of-the-day no-cook dessert, and we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Ralph Waldo Emerson. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. So the other night at dinner, we had a really interesting conversation. Our 12-year-old asked, if you could have any instrument with you on a backpacking trip, what would it be? And of course, the family came up with the obvious answers. Right, the harmonica, the kazoo, you know, those small, easy-to-pack instruments. Right, the ones that everyone has a little bit of extra room for in their pack. Well, then the conversation took a little bit of a twist And we started talking about instruments from a survival standpoint. And the question became, what musical instrument has the most potential to be used in the wild as a survival tool? So then we started coming up with instruments and ways that they could be used to survive. Yeah, well, the constraints shifted drastically. It wasn't, what would you carry on a backpacking trip? It it was more like if an instrument just appeared out of nowhere, (laughs) then what would that instrument be that would be the most useful on a backpacking trip? So I think the most extreme example that came up was the pipe organ. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'd never carry it, of course. But, you know, if you just happen to have a pipe organ on a backpacking trip, then you'd have lots of shelter to use throughout your trip. Yeah, as long as you don't have to carry it. (laughs) Pipe organ would make great firewood also. There's something you could probably do with the pipes themselves. Yeah, there's got to be some... Maybe water collection. Sure. We came up with a drum kit. Someone said you could use the snare drum to snare animals. Yeah, (laughs) since it has a snare. Someone else said the bagpipes. You could use those to somehow filter water. That's pretty cool, too. Yeah. That would be awesome. (laughs) And then, of course, the grand piano. It's another one that could be used as shelter firewood. You could use the strings for creating a snare or maybe a bow and arrow. That would be fun. That would be really cool. And I guess a a piano has felt in it also, so you could use that for insulation if you needed to. Be tiny little pieces of felt. (laughs) (laughs) So if if weight was no concern... Uh, then maybe your recommendations of, of what musical instrument to bring on a backpacking trip would, would change drastically. Yes, we definitely <laughs> recommend the pipe organ. If it fits in your pack, go ahead and pack that along. Yeah, either that or the harmonica, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a really fun top five list today. All the time in the news, backpacking is showing up. Innovations in backpacking technology or people who've accomplished amazing things in backpacking or people who have maybe had some interesting experiences along the trail. Well, we came up with five backpacking in the news stories that we wanted to share with you today. The first story, lost hikers burned a trailhead sign to stay warm. And this actually happened somewhere near Mount Jefferson in Oregon. 
two guys called 911 around 5 o'clock on a Sunday to let the dispatchers know that they were lost. They actually took down the trailhead sign and burned it to stay warm because they knew search and rescue wasn't going to be coming until much later. Actually, the rescuers had to hike six and a half miles in the dark in to these guys to rescue them, and they didn't make it out until the next morning at 6.30 a.m. I always thought that search and rescue was that it involved helicopters and you called 911 and within a few minutes you have this <laughs> over your head and your air lifted out. But um, no, search and rescue is not not a quick process. No, it's not. And so these guys burned a trail sign? A trailhead sign. You know, those big wooden signs that have like little things stapled to them? Yeah, so they couldn't find any other wood in the middle of the state of Oregon you know, <laughs> that they could burn other than a trail sign. <laughs> it makes an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. A little extra cost for trail maintenance there too. <laughs> well, I guess the point of the story is to dress for conditions. They weren't prepared to stay overnight, and so they didn't have any extra gear with them or any extra food. Always be prepared for that one extra emergency night. Even if you're going on a day hike, you should have those essentials, the extra day's worth of food, the extra clothing, the map and compass. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's funny, they had the phone, and the phone actually uh, transmitted its GPS coordinates, but somehow they were unable to use their phone to get themselves unlost. Uh, So that's unfortunate. Uh, You got to have those skills too. you know, bring the map and compass and then know how to use them. If they were able to keep moving, they would have been able to stay warm. Mm -hmm. That's really the key to staying warm is to just stay moving. The problem is they were lost. And of course, if you're lost, yeah, it doesn't make sense to keep moving uh, potentially in circles or in a direction that gets you even more lost. Mm -hmm. So They were really between a rock and a hard place there. They had to stay still, which made the cold even worse for them. So bring those essentials, know where you are, and then if you've got that, you can keep moving to combat the cold. In our second story, over the last 20 years, a group called the Windmill Hill Pinnacle Association has been piecing together parts of trail to create an 18-mile trek from the Vermont town of Putney to the newly acquired land in Grafton. So this creates an amazingly beautiful trail in Vermont that people can take from start to finish, and there are no breaks in between. This has taken a long time, and it's actually involved the purchase of 25 pieces of land and trail licenses and easements to create this long trail that people can take. I think it's a really exciting story because this wasn't something that the government decided. This was a grassroots association that decided to do this. And now the whole community can enjoy this 18-mile long trail. That's great. I think that's really cool that they got that trail put together. You know, we're always building new roads in this country. And it's great to see that other uses such as hiking can be accommodated as well. And, and to have that section of trail, you know, with no breaks in it. I don't know how many people will actually hike all 18 miles all at once in, in one day. But I think the preservation aspect of that is really great. Yeah. And the people involved with it look like an awesome group of people. In fact, if you go to the Windmill Hill Pinnacle Association website, it has a picture of a group of people hugging a huge tree that's part of that trail. <laughs> so good people. So our third story 
little bit more controversial story. It involves the Pacific Crest Trail. Chris Horgan, who uh, enjoys trail riding, so we're talking about uh, dirt bikes, uh, that sort of recreational use of trails. Of course, trail riding is not allowed on the Pacific Crest Trail, and, and Chris is not trying to change that rule. Uh, he understands that the Pacific Crest Trail is, is a wilderness uh, scenic trail for hiking and equestrian use only. Uh, however, he's concerned about the buffers that are being put in place around the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, generally, a, the goal is to have about a one-mile buffer on either side of the trail. Now, this is problematic for points where dirt bike trails need to be able to cross the PCT to get to the other side. There are some, some goals that the Forest Service and the Pacific Crest Trail Association have put in place that they would like to limit the frequency of those trail crossings to preserve the wilderness nature of the Pacific Crest National Scenic Trail. Uh, Chris Horgan is concerned about those, uh, about those rules. He's concerned that they're going to go too far to negatively impact other recreational uses in the Forest Service lands. Now, it's hard for me to say who's right and who's wrong in this particular disagreement. Uh, however, we did a recent hike on a section of the Pacific Crest Trail that, that's certainly different than most of the PCT. We started uh, right next to the Columbia River in Washington State. You know, that's not wilderness area, and it never will be. It just can't be. We were right next to the Bonneville Dam, probably one of the largest power-producing dams uh, in the country, power lines going in all directions from the dam. So as we were hiking, we were hiking through clear cuts, under power lines. We stopped at Gillette Lake and we could hear the chainsaws buzzing in the background as they were doing maintenance on the power line uh, area to make sure that trees wouldn't uh, you know, grow up in, under the power lines. We finally got into a more forested area, what would be more typical of the Pacific Crest Trail. Now, I don't think that section of trail will ever be able to, to really be improved very much just because of where it has to go. But I do sympathize, and I understand it would be nice to be able to have that buffer in most places on the PCT so that when you're hiking through, you really get that wilderness experience and you're not distracted by all the, the trappings of civilization. Our fourth story. Well, one of the places that a lot of people go for backpacking and hiking gear is REI, and they actually just hired a branding expert to kind of bump up the company's global image. So if you shop at that retailer, you can expect kind of a different feel there. So keep your eye out as you're shopping. We'll see what they do. So the branding expert that they hired is Ben Steele, and he's actually worked for companies like Starbucks, Pepsi, and Lexus. So can you imagine a Lexus feel in a, an REI store? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what they do with it. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, our last story is a thrillingly exciting story. A Seattle runner smashes the speed record for the Pacific Crest Trail. 23-year-old Seattle man Joe McConaughey went from Mexico all the way to Canada and crossed the Canadian border. How many days do you think it took? Three months. Well, he did it in 53 days, 6 hours, and 37 minutes. Wow, Can that's you insane. How long is the trail? They mark it around 2,650 miles. So we're talking somewhere around 50 miles a day. 50 miles a day. That was the average. Actually, he broke a record that was created by Josh Garrett, and Josh Garrett did the trail in 59 days, 8 hours, and 14 minutes. 
So McConaughey broke his record by six days. And Josh Garrett's record was just set last year, wasn't it, in 2013? That's right. Other people have set records on that trail before. In fact, one of the other record holders on the trail is Heather Anderson of Bellingham, and she holds the record for an unassisted run and actually did it without a support team. This gentleman, Joe McConaughey, had a support team. So the way that he did it was he ran, and every time there was a a road crossing or a highway, he would meet up with his team there and get fuel and, you know, his supplies like sleeping bag, things that he would need for overnight. So he had a team supporting him the entire way. But this this woman, Heather Anderson of Bellingham, actually did it unsupported. Which is completely amazing to and me. Completely incredible. <laughs> Boy, that's that's hard going that many miles every day. So McConaughey, he He said he lost 18 pounds during this 53-day trek. Well, while he was on the trail, he actually used that time to raise money for cancer support services, and he raised $27,000. Well, that's great. Yeah. And I would say, hike your own hike, as they say. So uh, I don't think I'll be doing that one anytime soon, but I love the idea of finding pieces of the Pacific Crest Trail that I can hike and enjoy. Well, here on the first 40 miles, we created the Summit Gear Review. It's the most comprehensive gear review system for backpacking gear. The Summit Gear Review gives you a 360 unbiased look at backpacking gear before it goes into your pack. Summit stands for structure, utility, mass, maintenance, investment, and trial. Today on the Summit Gear Review, we're reviewing the 65 liter women's Osprey Aura pack. Structure. This pack has an internal frame. The frame is metal alloy and it also has a great suspension system. It's made of high tenacity nylon and mini ripstop nylon. Now the material is not waterproof but it is somewhat water resistant and it dries fairly quickly. Utility. This pack has eight pockets. The top is removable, but if you took off the top, you would probably lose the most convenient storage of the the whole pack. The two large zippered front pockets help to organize gear, and the large main compartment, that has the hydration sleeve tucked in the back and a reservoir clip so you can slide the tube out and have it be convenient. The pack also has removable sleeping pad straps and a trekking pole attachment system along with dual ice axe loops and bungee tie-offs, which you don't have to use those as ice axe loops. You can use them as trail shoe loops. Mass. This pack comes in three different sizes and each pack weighs a little bit differently. The small is three pounds, six ounces. The medium is three pounds, nine ounces, and the large is three pounds, 12 ounces. Yeah, the three pounds, nine ounces for the medium size of that pack is a great weight. Uh, Really anything under four pounds is great for a backpack. And they all actually have different capacities too. The small holds 62 liters, the medium is 65, and the large is actually 68. But you'll want to buy the pack based on your size, and there's a way to measure your your size to find out what size pack to use. When you go into a backpacking store, they'll have a device that they use to measure your torso height. So they're looking from the the distance from your hips up to that last uh, vertebra that you can feel at the base of your neck. 
that distance right there is what they'll use to size your pack. That's completely unrelated to the capacity of your pack. So you can get a pack with a large carrying capacity or a small carrying capacity, either way, but you want to make sure that the frame size uh, or the suspension sizing is appropriate for your body. That's right. You can still get a large carrying capacity pack if you have a small frame. Maintenance. If you want to keep this pack dry on the trail, you'll want to get a liner to go inside of your pack or a cover to go on the outside of your pack. For cleaning, if it does get soiled on the trail or if you want to kind of clean certain parts of it, like just the uh, shoulder straps usually are the ones that get kind of dirty, grungy, grungy stinky, dirty. <laughs> um, just clean it off with mild soap and water in a bathtub and then wipe it dry and set it up to dry. Make sure that you that you set it up so that it's open so that all parts of the pack can dry. Investment. This pack came in at $250 which may seem like a lot of money to spend on recreation or recreation equipment, but a lot of women don't bat an eye at spending $250 on a designer purse. And I know it's not the same market that's buying packs and designer purses, but think of it as your designer purse. Another thing that you can do, if, if $250 seems like a lot, the first time you use it, it will pay for itself. Say you take a five-day trip, that basically makes this pack $50 a day, which is cheaper than most hotels. So consider this to be your designer purse with a much larger carrying capacity. Oh yes, I can hold all my bling in this in this pack. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, the, $250 is uh, a good price for packs. I mean, right in that range, $200 to $250 is, is uh, probably where you'll be for a good high-quality pack. And for backpacking, really... Uh, the pack is one of the most important purchases you'll make. It's a key purchase. You want to make sure you get it right. Trial. I took this pack out for my first 40 miles. I really came to rely on this pack and love it. We became really great friends. And I remember even after coming home, I didn't want to leave the house without my pack because I'd spent so much time with it on my back. There are just a few things that I wanted to say about the pack. When I was going through the pack purchasing process, I tried on a lot of different packs. I got lots of great advice from the people who helped me at the different retail stores that I went to. The number one thing you want to do when you're trying on packs is to put weight inside of the packs. And when you go to these retail stores, they'll have basically huge bean bags with weight listed on them. So you want to pack it to about, you know, 30 to 35 pounds what you think you'll be carrying on the trail, and then actually walk around the store, hike up the stairs, walk through the, you know, the granola bar section and see how it feels. And then also have them at the store teach you how to make adjustments on the pack. Because if you're new to purchasing a pack, there are key places where you'll need to learn how to adjust the pack. Once you learn how to adjust it, you know, the belt, the shoulder, the sternum, and the Oh, what's that part in the, the back called? The straps over the shoulders. The straps, I'm not sure what they're called. <laughs> the straps over the shoulders. Those all make a huge difference in how the pack feels. So even if you put it on and it's not comfortable at first, you can adjust it so that it is extremely well balanced. Most packs even have some little straps between the hip belt and the pack as well. <laughs> 
So packs are really adjustable. Try several packs on until you feel like you have found the pack that really matches you. And you know, it may seem silly, but color matters. I don't know why, but so many manufacturers have this color called I'm a woman backpacker purple. They don't call it that. They just <laughs> call it purple or eggplant. But that that wasn't really me. And I was so glad that this backpack came in green. Of course, they called it pinion. So I bought the green one, the green version of this. There was a pack that I seriously considered considered buying when I was shopping for packs, and I just couldn't bring myself to like the color of that pack. <laughs> It matters, (laughs) even though you can't see your pack. It's on your back most of the time. Well, there are a couple things that I wanted to say about this pack. The side water bottle pockets, those are for holding water bottles, not for holding small things. The pockets are not completely enclosed. You know, if you throw your keys in there before you leave, chances are on the trail your keys are going to wiggle their way out and they'll end up on a lost and found board somewhere. I felt like the pack had the storage compartments in all the right places. I'd like to say that shopping for a pack ultimately comes down a lot to personal preference. There are several great brands available. And among those great brands, it really comes down to finding the pack that just feels like it's you. You put it on and it just fits right. It feels good. It it has things where you want them, where you expect them. Um, I I remember Heather when you decided to take this this first forty mile trek that we did. I sent you out the next morning with my pack filled up with some weight. Uh, you had a great experience. You loved it, and so then you went off pack shopping. Tell me a little bit more about that experience, though, from from your perspective. It it seems to me like at the end of the day, you finally just slipped into one of the, the, into a pack that just, it was, it was you. Yeah. Well, after wearing Josh's pack on this little um, shakedown hike, it's a men's pack. And so, you know, it was comfortable. If it fit well, I thought it was comfortable. But then when I went pack shopping and was able to try on women's packs, I was astounded because I believed up until that point that women's packs were women's packs because they were purple. And (laughs) I had no idea that they were actually constructed differently, that they actually took into consideration that women have different proportions. And so as I tried on these women's packs, I, I was amazed. And, you know, I, of course, started with some of the less expensive packs, tried on some of the more expensive packs and, you know, went through several um, and went to several different retailers. And I remember the moment that I found my pack. It was the last pack that I tried on. And I was, I was exhausted that day because I'd been shopping for packs and I was ready to go home. But I put on this pack with 30 pounds in it and I turned to the person that was helping me and I said, I, I don't think we put the weight in. And she said, we did put the weight in. And that was when I knew that I had the right pack, when it almost felt weightless, when I had, you know, cinched everything down and I just felt buoyant and light. So I don't know what it's going to be like for you when you find your pack, you know, the one, 
But shop around and make sure that you find one that is a good fit for you and that's comfortable and, heck, pick the color you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you have today for our backpack hack of the week? Well, today's backpack hack of the week is double chocolate pudding. And as we talked about before, sometimes when you're backpacking, it's actually kind of hard to get all the calories that you need for the amount of effort that you're expending and the amount of calories that you're burning. So this is a pretty calorie dense dessert. To make this amazingly decadent dessert, you're gonna need a small box of instant chocolate pudding. You'll need a half cup of Neato whole milk powder, and you'll find that in the Mexican food section of the grocery store. So that's spelled N-I-D-O, Neato. You'll need six Oreos that have been crushed, and then you'll just mix all the ingredients together. And this makes an eight ounce pouch, which is 220 grams. You'll probably wanna divide it in half, so you're not eating a huge bag of pudding. But um, when you're ready to eat it, all you do is you add the half cup of cold water to the four ounces of your pudding mix, and then you just mix it in a Ziploc bag and you kind of knead it with your hands. And it's 520 calories per bag. Well, when you're ready to eat the dessert, when it's all mixed up, either cut off or bite off the corner of the bag and squeeze it into your mouth. And this comes in at 130 calories per ounce. So it's right in that range that we're looking for on a backpacking trip. And it gives you something different, right? I mean, when you're trying to eat 1,500 calories for dinner, sometimes you can't eat 1,500 calories of the same Thing. It just gets boring. So this gives you something else. You, you have your dinner and then you have this little snack, a, a different flavor, a different texture. It's nice to have. So if I were to recap that, you need a small box of instant chocolate pudding mix, a half cup of the Nido whole milk powder, which you find in the Mexican food section of your grocery store, six Oreos, crush them up, mix it all together, divide it in between two Ziploc bags, and you've got, I guess, two nights worth of dessert. We'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Ralph Waldo Emerson. When you have worn out your shoes, the strength of the shoe leather has passed into the fiber of your body. I measure your health by the number of shoes and hats and clothes you have worn out. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, like us on Facebook, The First 40 Miles. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. <laughs>